to the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It strikes me that because this is the second Sunday of Easter, we get a lot from Scripture today about the resurrection of Jesus. A week may start to feel like a month when you've been directed to stay at home for your health, but Easter does not end on just one morning. Just as Christmas is not just one day, but 12 days of celebration, Easter is not just one Sunday, but a great 50 days of feasting that stretch from the Sunday of the Resurrection to Ascension Day. And the church rightly recognized very early that Easter is such a monumental occasion that we can afford to linger here a little while longer before we go back to life as we have known it. It's important to remember that Jesus was executed at the hands of Roman soldiers who were professional killers who had made eliminating the enemies of Caesar their job. And three days later on that Sunday morning, he was no longer dead, but alive. And perhaps most crucially, not just awake, but truly and fully alive. He ate and drank and he spoke with his friends. The love that they shared in life as a band of brothers and companions carried on despite the fear of the disciples and their abandonment of the Lord. The reason that Jesus says, peace be with you in the gospel of John, when he first appears in the upper room, is because resurrection is always unexpected and a little bit frightening. You'll remember that peace be with you is often what we hear angels saying to mortals in the Bible. And that's because the appearance of an angelic figure or a resurrected one is shocking. The suffering of the cross made it so. And that suffering is not erased by the resurrection. Jesus still has the wounds, the marks of his passion in his body. And that's why, if you ever notice in Christian iconography of post-resurrection, Christ almost always features the nail marks in his hands and the wound in his side. The cross is the place where the love of God is made visibly manifest for the sake of the whole world. And the resurrection is not the obliteration of the cross, but rather a vindication of that love. It is the announcement broadcast to the whole world that there is no depth to which God will not descend in order to redeem creation. And if we are willing that there is no place to which we can sink where God will not seek and find his lost sheep. So when he returns to them in the upper room on that night, Jesus is not a vengeful ghost seeking retribution for the wrongs he suffered in life, but he is the fully restored teacher that the disciples had known before, transformed in a miraculous way. And his suffering and endurance have now been justified by God the Father. 
The texts for this morning hold the resurrection up for our further reflection because there is a richness and a beauty in Easter that is inexhaustible. It's like a swimming pool where the deep end just has no bottom. St. John of Damascus, writing in the 6th century, said this about Easter. Now all things have been filled with light. Both heaven and earth and those beneath the earth, so let all creation sing Christ's rising. There is so much joy in the resurrection that all creation should be singing. It's why the resurrection of Jesus has produced so much beautiful hymnody and poetry and art, because it is such a beautiful gift that God has given us. So the question for us this morning is, what does it mean to hope in the resurrection in a time of difficulty or trial, especially given the evidence around us that we can see with our own eyes that the glorious return of Jesus from the tomb is not good news for everyone in equal measure? You have perhaps noticed that despite the fact that we live in this time after Easter, the whole creation is not breaking out into glorious song. We are divided from one another, split apart by antagonisms of all kinds. The world remains seemingly a contested space. And even in the church this morning, we are physically distant from one another uncertain of when we will be reunited into the warm fellowship that we enjoy and value so much. The first letter of Peter, which we also heard from this morning, was written to a people facing persecution. And the author tells his readers that because of their faith in Jesus, they are born again into a living hope. That hope is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That is, of course, incredibly good news. The author goes on to say, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Those trials that are described here are not just feelings of loss, or loneliness, although those are powerful forces and are sometimes very hard to overcome. But we also know that there would have been the loss of friends and loved ones to violent persecutions of the first century church. So the first hearers of this letter could definitely understand words of encouragement, but they could also look at the world around them and see with their own eyes that things were not perfect, that life as a follower of Jesus could be quite difficult. And yet, the most true thing in human history is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. It is truth that sets all other truths in relationship to itself. Come sunshine or rain, famine or feast, illness or death, wars or rumors of wars, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. 
And that truth deserves to be celebrated, even if what we may see with our eyes or feel in our hearts does not reflect that same bright, sunny truth. We are followers of Jesus, just as the disciples in that upper room and the churches that read 1 Peter were. And we may similarly be fearful or frustrated or annoyed or some combination of emotions that we don't really have a name for. But however we might feel, what is true for us is that God has been through that experience on our behalf. That Jesus went through death and hell themselves with us in mind and on his heart. And he emerged on the other side on that first Easter morning in order to win us to himself. The story of Christ bursting in on the disciples in the upper room on the evening of the first Easter is an encouragement for us because he intends to do the same for you and I. He will come back for us. Even for doubting Thomas with his questions and his confusion and undoubtedly his heartbreak. Jesus returns with Thomas and with you and I in his heart. Friends, whatever struggle we might face, whatever frustration we may feel, whether we are pessimists or optimists, we have been gifted with the good news that all history hangs on. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and the glorious hope of the salvation of our souls. I hope that wherever you may be, wherever you fall on that spectrum of optimism or pessimism, hope or despair, that the truth of the resurrection would penetrate your heart this morning. That like Jesus coming through the door of the upper room uninvited, you would be prepared for him to appear again in your life. That the resurrected Lord, with his hands and his side still marked with the wounds of his suffering, would burst in again on you and speak a word of peace and comfort and hope. However we may feel, Easter is not finished with us just yet. And whatever season of life we may be in, that is very good news indeed. Amen.